Today's episode is brought to you by Arrowhead Coffee. Canadian veteran-owned Arrowhead Coffee. Coffee that inspires and supports veterans, first responders, and their families. To order your delicious Arrowhead Coffee, visit arrowhead.coffee. Now that's not arrowhead.com or arrowhead.ca, it's arrowhead.coffee on the Googleizer. And save 10% with discount code OPTR10. That's Oscar, Papa, Tango, Romeo, 10. And get yours today. And we are rolling in 3, 2, 1. Cue music! Okay, dokey. Welcome to another episode of Operation Tango Romeo, the trauma recovery podcast for veterans, first responders, and their families. The last part of that phrase is and their families, and that's the part that just gets missed all too often. They don't get the attention that they deserve because there is something called the blast radius. Now, everybody who has ever thrown a grenade knows what a blast radius is, but it also happens in our families with our tempers. When you lose your pickles and uh, blow your stack, it affects those around you. Now, you don't have to punch them or, or smack them to hurt them. Just the fact that they witnessed a blowout does harm. And it models the wrong way. When you're growing up and you see your parents uh, reacting with anger and with, with an eruption, then that's how you learn to react. So today on the show, I am tickled pink to have Dr. Seth Castle, the author of Why is Dad So Mad? And Why is Mom So Mad? And it just means the world to me to have this particular conversation. Seth, thanks for being here, brother. Hey, Mark. Thanks so much for having me today. So good. Now, let's start with, uh, you wrote Why is Dad So Mad first, right? What was your holy shit come to Jesus moment that uh, that had you say I'm I'm going to write this book? I was going to rip the bandaid off right right to start, huh? Yeah, <laughs> fucking okay. go for it. All right, um, I'm a teacher, so I talk for a living. So I'm going to try to condense this down <laughs> pretty right. quick. Um, I can't say that there was uh, uh, holy shit. I'm going to write this book. I think it goes a little further back to like holy shit, I need help, yeah. you know, and, you know, I came home uh, from my second deployment, um, and I was different, of course, I'll, I'll speed through most of this, um, I was working a job that I hated, and um, it was, my commute was really long, and it was like a two-hour commute almost, and I remember, like, I, I hated my job, and I got into a fight with my boss one day, and um, on the way home from work, I stopped at the convenience store. I got a 12 pack and I drank all the way home and, you know, I get home and I'm standing in our kitchen, right. And I'm, I'm drunk. Can't hide that. Right. My wife walks in, she picked up our daughter from daycare and my wife looked at me and she knew I was drunk. And, and she said to me, she goes, don't you become an alcoholic because your daughter deserves better. And like, that was like, that's, that's the moment. 
right? That's when my life changed was that one. Um, at that point in my life, uh, we were living in Wichita, Kansas, which is, it's a, a big metropolitan area, big VA hospital. Um, and so I was like, well, I've got to do something because I'm about to lose everything. Yeah. And there was a variety of things that went into me being able to take that step. Um, cause it's, it's scary. Like that's the, that first step in the journey is absolutely the hardest, the most intimidating piece. Like hell, I remember sitting in my truck outside the vet center and like, just like talking to myself, like, are you really going to do this? Like, Holy shit. Like, why are you here? Are you, you know, cause there's like this, this, I'm going to say reverence, but it's, I don't know, like, like people who had it way worse than you are probably fine. Like, why aren't you fine? I mean, like I bet I had early in my career, I was, I was in logistics and like I moved on, I became a drill sergeant. Like I was with like professional tough guys, second battle of Fallujah and like, like they're fine. Why the hell are you fine? You know? And I'm like psyching myself out that like, you can't be messed up in the head. Like you have to, you have to figure this out on your own. But I, I was faced with like losing my family or swallowing my pride. And that's really what it came down to. And, um, and so I went and I, I started seeking help. And the first groups that I went to, I was went, I was going to group therapy or whatever. And because of my work schedule, um, I could only go at a time that it was all Vietnam vets and that didn't work for me because those men were all 30 years ahead of me in the reintegration process. Yeah. Right. Like they were dealing with things that I'm going to deal with in 30 years. Right. And so it was like every once in a while an OEF, OIF vet would be there. And, um, and like, we really, like we always really connected, right. Cause we're dealing with like early career woes, young kids, you know, like the, the financial issues that you have when you're young, like we were in the same boat and that was always great. But like, once every two or three weeks that someone would come that I could really connect with just wasn't working for me. Um, and I ended up going to a vet center and that's one-on-one therapy. The VA does pretty well. Um, and it, it changed my life. You know, I went like heavy for six months. I never did inpatient. I always did just outpatient made appointments and stuff like that. And that was good enough for me. And like that, that set me on a path to, to get better, I guess, for, for the moment. Uh, the important thing to understand, you know, is this, this isn't like, great, I went and got help. And now, now I'm all better. And, and I can just go on and live my life normal because it's not right. It's, it's continual management for the rest of your life. And, but that's, that was my first step. And, um, yeah, I knew that I was not always the dad that I wanted to be. And so, um, when I published the book, my daughter was, my oldest was six, and so I read like a jillion children's books in the first six years of her life to her. We read a lot. And uh, I was like, there's got to be a book out there for this. And I looked and there really wasn't. And so like the thought entered my mind, like maybe you could do this, but then it left my mind just as fast as it came in. And um, I told a friend of mine about it and that I had this idea. And he's like, you know, those friends that you have that just like needle at you to do the right thing. It's like, you know, you, you should really do this. And, uh, and he kept bugging me about it until I actually did write the book. That is awesome. Did you already have an illustrator or how did that come, come about? No, like the, the process is weird because like 
I had <laughs> surprise another crappy day at work. This is at a different job as years a few years later. Um, and I went home and I sat at my kitchen table and I wrote the whole book pretty much in its final form in 30 minutes with illustration notes and everything, right? I just shelled it out. This is the message I want. And I filed it away to never be seen again. And that's when, you know, I'd had those conversations with, uh, with my friend, but uh, I work at a university. And because of that, um, the art and design department is like downstairs from my department. And I, I took my manuscript down there and I, I showed it to the chair of art and design. I was like, do you think you have any students that would be interested in illustrating a book? And a week later, a student came to my office and I gave her the manuscript and I, I told her, like, I was like, you know, I want, I want this to be uh, a family of animals, not a family of people, right? Because I don't want this to be black, white, yeah, like smart. anything like that, because we're all green, right? Like service members come from <laughs> everywhere. Like you, you, that's right. You think of like uh, like the Mercer Mayor books, like Little Critter, like that's just like a kid and their parents, and that's that's it. So it appeals to everyone, and that's what I wanted. I wanted it to be yeah. something strong, like a, a family of eagles or something. And like a week later, she sent me what's called a character ideation. It's just like a drawing of this family of lions. I loved it, and man, we were off to the races. That is so fantastic. And now, originally, did you self-publish or did you uh, yeah. go, go, so you self-published right off the bat and, and still are? Have you had yes. any offers from uh, publishers? I have not. And that's a hill that I'm continually trying to climb. Man, I wish I had like some super advice out there for uh, for your listeners to with the publishing industry, but that's tough. I mean, like I've sold yeah, a lot of books. Um and I still can't get a publisher to email me back. So I guess what my advice would be like, if you have something in your heart that you want to get out there, that you want to tell your story, there's lots of self-publishing means. You don't have like, I go through Kindle direct publishing, it's like Amazon. Yeah. And, but like, there's lots of like local statewide, regional publications, veterans voices, things like that, that are always looking to publish poetry or stories or things like that. Like, Get your story out there. Don't wait on someone else to be like, hey, this is this is quality or this is worthy. Get your story out there. Well, the book has to become your life either way. Uh, I've published two books, and I've got a third one that's cooking. And uh, the third one I'll be able to commit to. Uh, though the first nice. one, I just sold 500 copies at uh, all at once. I was like, whoa, that's new. That hasn't awesome. happened before. But um it's it's a big big deal. You don't just uh, write something and it just takes off because it's so wonderful. No, it's it's got to be your life, and you've got to. Yeah. Uh, but it's worth doing it, even if you sell a hundred copies and that's all you ever sell. It's worth doing it just to get it out of you and to see the final the yes. final product. Man, they're getting it out of you like that's that's pretty therapeutic, and to be able to tell your story in your way to other people that you that you want to share it with is good. And especially like lots of like those local and regional publications, like that that's veterans that read those, right? Like it's your brothers and sisters that are reading that, that understand what's not on the page. And so. Did you get any coverage from like American military news or anything like that? Did they, did you do a press release and did they pick you up? Well, man, like I, I hit the jackpot to be really honest. Like this is the part of my story that, I wish I could replicate, but I can't. Um, so like publishing a children's book is fairly expensive, right? Because you have to pay an illustrator. And like I had a student do it, but I'm not going to just like take advantage of the student, right? I'm going to pay them 
for their illustrations. And so you have that fee. And uh, I had, I hired a book designer um, and like, it cost me about $3,000 to, to make this book. You got off light. Um, yo, for sure. Right. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. Um, and so um, I had the money in savings. So I just, I did that. And to, uh, to kind of recoup that. And then I already knew that I wanted to do the second book, the mom book. Um, I went to Kickstarter, you know, the crowdfunding source. Yeah. And I actually, I was very fortunate. The lady that I had hired to, uh, designed my book. She was into like digital media production and, and stuff like that. And so I also hired her to, to produce a very professional Kickstarter campaign. And my Kickstarter campaign was insanely successful. Um, it became a Kickstarter staff pick because of that. A producer at NBC Nightly News saw it. Oh, like wow. the, the big wigs. So like they flew out to tiny little Waukini, Kansas and did a story on me. And like, bam, 13 million people saw my book in, in one night and like it, it blew up. Right. And that's, that's luck for, for sure. And then well, it, so. you can poo poo it and call it luck, but uh, <laughs> you still did the work, man. You, you, well, you, you made it happen. And, um, yeah. and I don't think it's luck. I think it's Providence. I think that your message needed to get out and the universe aligned to, to help you with that, but you still made that shit happen, Seth. Well, thank you. Thank you, sir. I, I wish I could help other people make that magic spark happen, but. <laughs> well, me too. <laughs> but it's, um, uh, I'm so, so glad because when I just even saw the title of your book, I was like, oh, <laughs> I want to read that myself, uh, even though I'm slightly older than eight, but um, slightly. Um, no, but it's it's cool that you say that because. When, when everything came out, and I, I, there was lots of emails and like I have a, a Facebook page and you know people posting on that and like so many people that were grown, that were children of Vietnam vets reached out to me and they're like, I really wish we would have had this when my dad came home from Vietnam yeah. because it would have helped me understand things so much. And so there's like that was kind of an unexpected uh layer to this story that I never knew that like that wasn't the target population, but it's someone that I still got to have a positive impact on. That was kind of cool. Oh, so fantastic. It's uh, some of my, I mean, I love all the feedback that I get on the show, but um, the, the wonderful unexpected feedback that I get from children of veterans uh, and first responders and, um, and spouses, you know, or, or even ex-spouses just trying to yeah. figure out, okay, what was that train wreck all about? (laughs) What the hell was going on there? And when they come back to me and and they they say, this is the point that I I heard and it helped so much because now I understand. And it's all about connection and empathy. And and your book with the illustrations and the very simple story about uh, the fire inside just helps people get it as much as they can get it. Yeah, you know, it's not about like, and what I really wanted to do with that message is just, right, I, w- I wanted my kids to understand that like, this isn't your fault that I'm this way and that I react this way. God damn it, I love you, yeah. you know. And and so it wasn't about like things that had happened or anything like that. There's no, there's no point in going down that road. I just want you to understand 
that this is this is who I am now, right? Like I had I deployed when I was young, right? Like my early twenties, and I had kids like closer to thirty. And so post-war Seth is like the only version of me that my kids know. And so I, I wanted to explain that to them. That like this, this isn't your fault that I act this way. Like I, I'm, I'm working on me and I wish I was better, but you know, it is what it is. And it is so powerful when the child hears the parent apologize and and explain i mean you can't just say sorry twice a week for the for, you know you got to do something about it you got to fix it so there's no reason yeah. to say sorry anymore yeah. but uh, you got to you got to stop screwing up yeah, but for um sure. uh, so the earlier you catch it the better but still the power of that apology i mean i certainly never received any apologies from my dad love him to death <laughs> and he loves me back but there's no apologies there not, not yeah. from that fucking generation you know <laughs> no way cold hard facts yeah just yeah there's there's no apologies but um uh the the power of that apology and because kids internalize that if you're yelling at your kid what your kid is hearing and internalizing is there's something wrong with me i'm bad Daddy says yeah. I'm bad, and 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 my daddy, my mom, you know, their word is law. They tell me there's a Santa Claus. I fucking believe it, yeah. you know. And uh, if 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 they're yelling at me, the message I'm getting is I'm bad. There's something wrong with me. I'm not good enough. And it's yeah. it's a crushing, fucking crushing message uh, that they internalize, and we have to fix it. It is, and there's reverberations through their life, like. Oh. I do a lot of work with, uh, with like domestic violence programs and stuff like that. And like, you know, I have daughters, so like, I don't want them to think it's okay for men to like yell at them and they need to take that. So I'm just like, Oh God, you know, like every parent thinks they're screwing up no matter what Well, we no all are. your story is right. Like <laughs> every parent's like, damn, I'm just a failure. Right. Like a hundred percent of the time. But it's like, you know, I don't, I don't want that to be my failure. I, I have plenty of other failures as a parent. Like I, I'm not going to, program my my daughters to think that like this is okay right dad should yell at moms like this and their kids and like like i I have to keep going down this road to to help them have their best life i think one of the greatest gifts we can give to our children is to admit our mistakes uh and say look (laughs) i'm not on no high horse you know um this is what i did wrong like really wrong and it was bad and this is the effect that it had on me and that it had on you these are my mistakes now, you're going to make mistakes, that's okay, but understand, like, try to do it the easy way, <laughs> you know, yeah. by learning from my mistakes, if you can. Yeah. And if you don't, hey, it, that's life. But if you do, then that's great. But you, it, there's too many egos, even with our yeah. own children of, look at me, I know it all, I, I've yeah. got it all figured out, I'm so smart, and... Uh, yeah. For sure. That's, yeah, that's I still n- fall into that trap. And I'm a, a self-reflective <laughs> person, right? Like, and I still, I'm like, like I get done, like, interacting with my, my daughter. She's 12, you know, like that that preteen age that I think is pretty difficult for, for most people. It's difficult for me. I'll yeah. just say that. And, like, we get done with the interaction that doesn't go so well. And I'm just like, Seth, you arrogant asshole. Like, she's trying to talk to you about where she's at. And, like, no, that doesn't fly in the adult world. But she's she's 12. She's 12. Yeah. Cut her some slack, man. And so I don't know. I, I still fall in that trap. You know, uh, I've been corrected by my children since my oldest boy was four years old. And uh, I, I would hear it. And if you can't be corrected by a four-year-old, you have too much fucking ego. Because yeah. li- listen, yeah. just f- 
fucking listen to your kids. Um, and now my, uh, my stepdaughter, she's a very wise girl. Uh, she's uh, just going to be turning 20 here. And, um, I listen to her because she's usually right. <laughs> you that's know, good man. That's, that's hard to admit. I think like for it is. most of it, if someone younger is like, they've got to figure it out better than we do. And it's totally plausible, right? Like in no other facet of my life, do I think that I'm smarter than other people, but for, for some reason as a parent, I mean, like, I'm unquestionable. Like, it's ridiculous. You mean you don't pull the doctor card? You're like, um, excuse <laughs> me, it's a Dr. Castle. Doctor I didn't card. go to school for all those years to be called Mr. You don't pull that one? <laughs> I don't even have my students call me doctor. Like, <laughs> I know there's a few PhDs that are listening to this right now that just fucking cringed. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's fine, guys. I mean, like, that's of the things I've done in my life. The doctorate is probably what I care least about, right? It's something I had to do to to stay in higher ed. But, uh, you know, talk about, like, my my military service. I'm much more proud of that than writing a 275-page dissertation. (laughs) <laughs> well, but that is pretty cool. Getting that PhD, that's pretty cool. That is pretty cool. Let's talk about your um, uh, military. So you started as a log wog. Yeah. Yep. So what started brain injury out. happened to you that you went from log wog to infantry? Like, the fuck? <laughs> what <laughs> so, is that? I don't know. I, I think it was the, that's a, a tough one. Um, I think that's what I always wanted to be. And, you know, like I joined when I was 17 and you go down to, MIPS, the, the, where you go and sign your contract and everything. And like, I was going to join the army reserve. And so I walked in to do my contract. I passed my physical and I was like, I want to be infantry. And they're like, well, not in this geographic location. This is your choice. <laughs> I was like, Oh, I guess, <laughs> I guess I'll be in logistics. That's, that's great. And so, but that's, <laughs> that's where my career started, yeah. you know, and for a significant portion of my career, my time in Afghanistan and Iraq was, was in logistics, right? Like I, we, I was there for, I was in O2 in Afghanistan, O3 in Iraq. Like we were, you know, I was in a distribution company as like any good army reserve company. We had shit equipment with, you know, we went out on every convoy every day with freaking canvas doors and no radios and no crew served weapons. And, and somehow we still managed to all come home, which is unbelievable. Cause we were on the road a lot. Um, I'm surprised no, that, because, like, the Americans, with all your damn toys that you got, uh, that anybody, log or not, was uh, on patrol without crew served weapons. That's, like, the hell's going on there? Or, or radios. <laughs> no, but you no, guys have, like, like a I, really good go budget. Get, What's going on? Like, dude, I, I would go get convoy briefs because I, I ran our ops for, like, we, our platoon was kind of by itself. So I would go get the, the briefs, and they'd be like, give me signal and call sign, like, frequency, all this stuff. I'm like, who the fuck am I going to call with my Motorola that I talked to the Humvee behind me? Like, what is this shit? They're like, this is QRF. Am I going to scream out my door? Like, I don't know that they aren't coming for us, but I mean, that's, I don't know. Like uh, there's like the, the active army and then like the national guard and reserve get much less funding and stuff like that. So, and plus this is really early in the war, right? I mean, this is, we were 16 days after the first ground troops entered the country is when we crossed the border. So, I mean, we're 20 years into like, Oh God, we need armor for our soldiers. That's amazing. But I mean, we had, (laughs) we didn't have like the IBAs with plates. It was like the old Vietnam flak vests is what we had. 
Brother, I I was in Croatia in 1994. All of our kit was Vietnam era. Our our, uh, carriers, I don't even know if you know it, but because it's that old. It was the M113 was our track carriers. And uh, (laughs) piece of shit. But uh, they were already 30 years old when when we're rolling (laughs) around Croatia in them. Just ridiculous. It's the best stories come from that, right? But that's true, <laughs> you know, because um, shit's always blowing apart. Right. Oh, for sure. Like we 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 finished convoys and stuff with uh, with shit held together with duct tape and five fifty cord, as as <laughs> I'm sure everyone has. <laughs> Well, that's, that's why most of us have a whole lot of uh, gun tape and uh, 550 yeah. cord handy because oh, you can yeah. fix just about it. You can MacGyver anything with that shit. Yep. Good enough to, to get you back to, back to the fob. But, you know, like I, I, uh, after I, when I left the logging world, I want to do something different with my career. I applied to the drill sergeant program and was accepted. And so, you know, I went into the, the drill sergeant program and that was like a lot of combat arms guys were there and, yeah. Um, like those are technically infantry units. I mean, those are training units. They're flagged as infantry units. So I had the opportunity to go and, and reclass as, as infantry. And it's something I think I'd always wanted to do. And so I took that opportunity to do that and just, I'll probably honest to God, probably more for myself just to know I could do it than, than anything else. Yeah. <laughs> Though I was like 30 and like, I was there with lots of younger guys and like, I was clearly <laughs> the old man in the group. <laughs> We had a guy when I was in the third battalion, uh, Gordy Gallant, and Gordy Gallant went through battle school. Uh, so first, uh, it's a little bit different now, but back then, uh, everybody does their ten weeks of basic, like everybody, mm-hmm. uh, land, air, sea, doesn't matter, uh, log, infantry, everybody does the same mm-hmm. basic, and then you go do your trades training. And for infantry was battle school, and uh, there's a guy he was late thirties, maybe even forty when he went through battle school, and he was in better shape than anybody. Because uh, he, he was a professional hockey player uh, before, nice. But he got kicked out because he fought too much and he punched out his own coach. But uh, <laughs> matter of fact, there was a documentary about uh, uh, the greatest goons of all time, and he was on there. Really, <laughs> was probably That's the awesome. king. And, uh, <laughs> everybody loved him. He was just just a great guy, still alive today, uh, Gordy Glunt. But yeah, forty years old, going through battle school, like ooh, <laughs> ow. <laughs> As someone who's like two weeks from forty, like. I can tell you, I do not want to go through infantry school today. <laughs> How long was infantry uh, infantry school for you? Uh, I did. I had done right because I did a reclass. So that's yeah. in in army. Like reclasses are typically condensed. So it was only like seventeen days because like you've already received all of the the other training, right? Like you have your basic training. Like typically, like your so in, in our military, there's basic training and there's what's called OSIT, which is one station unit training. So your basic training is like nine weeks. And then like you go to what's called your advanced individual training where you get your job. But for all your combat arms stuff, it's like one 14 week cycle, but that's teaching you basic training, how to be a soldier and March and all that stuff. Plus your infantry trade. So they take that extra like four or five weeks and they condense it down into 17 days. Oh my God. Uh, So our basic training is 10 weeks or was, And then battle school, just by itself, just to learn to be an infantry was 16 weeks. Mm. You know, like it's, uh, it's a lot. <laughs> yeah, it's a long time in institutional training. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a lot. But um, we have such a teeny weeny little army. Um, and we don't got to, too much of the cool kit. Well, we've got a lot more now than we used to. But um, that we have to be 
really, really well cross-trained. Anytime we'd work with, um, uh, w- with American, even the Marine Corps, they'd be like, I'm sorry, you're qualified to do what? It's like, we have to be, we have to be able to do all that stuff. You know, we don't have a specialist for, uh, uh the light machine gun and then the, no, it's like, no, we could shoot a ball, you know, right. and the mortars and the, you know, and, 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 cause we have to be able to. Right. Yeah. yeah cause they have, you know, we have, you're, you're a machine gun or you're a rifleman or you're a mortarman, right? Yeah, we, like, we so do we all that. Separate job tones for all of it. Everybody does all of it. Yeah. You know, I mean, we still have our specialties on top of that. Like we still have a mortar platoon in combat support uh, where like I can fire two of the mortars, but uh, the, the mortar guy could do it properly. <laughs> you know, I could just do it if, in a pinch, you know, yeah. uh, same with combat driving on the carriers or whatever. It's like, yeah, I can in a pinch I can do it. But, um, uh, but then the person that really does it, they're, they're super yeah. good at it, but everybody can do everything in a pinch if they yeah. have to, including the big machine gun, the big 50, the modus. Right. And, and, and we get into, we get into a lot of that. We have our heavy weapons squad and stuff like that. That's going to have motion cruiser weapons and, you know, Vulcan missile systems and all kinds of crazy that's stuff. Some cool shit. <laughs> no. Well, brother, um, the last question, what are your strategies now for managing PTSD? Like how do you, what do you add to your day or to your week to keep yourself level? Man, this has been a continually evolving uh, process for me, right? Who I am now isn't who I was 10 years ago when I started and I think that you have to adapt your processes to to where you are today it is a big piece of it. You know, like I, I retired at 16 years because I had a heart condition. I didn't want to retire, but they, they told me I had to retire. So I retired. And I did what most retirees do is I, I got fat and I got out of shape. And that didn't help with any of my mental health issues at all. And it's just been, you know, like for me, it's been the last year I've got back into the gym and like now physical fitness is a huge part, uh, for keeping everything upstairs clear for me. Um, man, self-awareness is the number one thing for all of this. Uh, I feel like, like understanding what, not just what triggers you. I hate that word, but so do I, (laughs) (laughs) but you know, not, not just what, um, what is going to send you off the handle, but then what are you going to do when you start going down that road to, to stop you from going down the handle? Cause just recognizing it, it isn't enough, right? You can stand there in an argument with your spouse and be like, well, I'm getting mad. Oh my God, I'm getting mad. Just keep your mouth shut. Well, that's not enough, man. Like take 10 steps out of the room and, and cool off. Yeah. You know, like I remember one time uh, my wife and I had an argument over a text message. Like we texted each other and it was the greatest argument I've ever had. Right. Because there wasn't like that screaming emotion and I could stop and before, cause I wouldn't just like vomit shit out of my mouth to make the situation 10 times worse. Yeah. So I think like understanding not only like what, what your limits are, but what you're going to do when you're approaching those limits is so vitally important. And like, you know, your kids, like, unless there's, like, safety issues and they're about to get hurt, just just walk out of the room. And, like, if your your kids are upsetting you, I mean, my kids are great, but, yeah, they upset me sometimes, right? And, like, if I'm going down that road of being unreasonable, like, know yourself and know what you need to do not to be the person that you don't want to be. 
Going to have your immediate action drills is what we call them. Like, That's right. Like weapon yeah. fires, weapon stops. What do you do? Well, you, and you practice it and practice it. And if you can't practice it physically, then you practice it in your mind and you visualize it. Weapon fires, weapon stops. What do you do? Open the feed tray, sweep, etc., etc. Yeah. And um, what do you do? Ambush left. What right. do you do? Ambush right. What do you do? Ambush front. What do you do? And practice it in your mind again and again and again. When the cheese is slipping off my cracker, you know, uh, what do I do? And make sure that your spouse or and your kids know what those immediate action drills are. So when they see it, they just let it go. You know, yeah. it's like, I got to pop smoke and get out of the house here for like a while. It's like, all right, come back when you're yeah. ready. All right. And out for you sure. go. And then it's not like, oh, I can't believe you just walked out of the house. It's like, no, I understand. <laughs> it's uh, you turned your back and, and got that because you knew you're going to about to say something stupid. Yep. And, 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 that's, and your head ain't on right. You got to settle the hell down. And, and that's great, man, because, you know, if you, if you put it like that, like we've all been trained to do this. Yeah. We just haven't been given the context of this isn't, uh, you know, combat or this isn't, you know, battle drills. This is living life with a spouse and children, but the process can look the same and you've memorized that process and you, you know it in your heart. You could do it in your sleep. Just give it a different context. That's it. You know, it's, a, it's great. Well, I, um, one of the things that I share that has people go, Ooh, is that what it is? Is that our brains are wired for combat so that if you have a problem, kill it. If you have a problem, kill it. If you have a problem, kill it. It's conditioned that way. So as soon as we have a problem in our uh, uh, regular life, we, we want to, we don't want to, but our, our reaction because of how we're wired is to react with aggression. If you have a problem, kill right. it. Yeah. It's, it, so you have to practice. It's like, if you have a problem, explore it, ask about it, wonder about it. And if you're elevated, you have to, you have to pop smoke. Like if you feel that, that fire inside, like that's in your book, you have to, whoa, time out. Yeah. I got a fire inside and uh, I'll be back when that is down to a smolder, <laughs> you yeah. know, and yeah. you, you cannot engage while you're hot. You know, if you're, if you're cleared mm-hmm. hot, you're not like get out yeah. and, um, and wait for that fire to settle down. And that without that self-awareness that I am the asshole here, mm-hmm. I am the problem. I'm the solution. That's what has to happen. I'll share with you, Seth, um, and I've shared it on the show a couple of times. One of the ways is to change the mission. The reason that we're uh, getting hot is because the mission isn't going to a a plan. We're just not aware that we're on a mission, but we are. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and, and the mission is always like the running mission is always to respond, respond and neutralize that threat, neutralize the threat. You know, if you have a problem, kill it. If you have a problem, kill it. We don't know that tape is playing, but that tape is always fucking playing. If you have a problem, kill it. So we have to consciously change the mission from uh, uh, close with and destroy the enemy, change the mission to harmony. So the second you are feeling disharmony because you're getting elevated Mm -hmm. or there's, there's, there's some sort of conflict, oh, I'm off mission here. My mission has to be harmony not to win not to kill the problem not to neutralize the threat my mission is harmony and to uh, start your day with that and end your day with that and to remind yourself of my mission is harmony throughout the day 
Yeah, it's you know I think like you just you have to look at, at those family members that you have right and like you love those people more than anything. Yep, you want to be the best you you can be. Yep, then then you're going to have to swallow pride because pride is a death sentence. Yeah, and you know it's easy to say like. Would you die for your family? Yeah, that's easy, right? Would you live differently for them, though? You know, like, that's a whole lot harder, yeah. right? Yeah. Will you live for your family? You yeah. know, we'll say, of course, you know, somebody kicks open my door. I don't care if I'm outgunned, outmanned. I'm, right? I'm going for it, and if I die, I die. I'm going to Hell's Gates for them. All right. But, well, uh, will you go to therapy for your family? Yeah. No. Oh, <laughs> shit, that's what weak people do, man. Like, <laughs> Well, you're going to find yourself alone, friend. It's hard, man. I think that yeah. the, the whole mental health stigma thing is real. I think the military is getting better about it, it but that stigma still exists. Yeah. You know, you know, it, it's a hyper-masculine culture. It is what it is. But I think we're getting there. But, like, brother, you're just swallowing your pride. And do you want to be with your family? Do you want to be a big part of your kid's life? Do you want to live with a spouse? Like, and it's not to say that like all veterans are all the problem, right? But but we're part of the problem, and, and but so that therefore it's, it's on us to be part of the solution. Right? I think one Only of the fingers easy. One of the right, unless you're doing this big drivers to suicide because our suicide rate in our community is ridiculous. It is. You know, everybody knows somebody that's taken their life, and um, we all know a few of them. Every one of yeah. us does. Yes. And um, one of the biggest reasons is that they see themselves as being a danger as, as being a detriment to their family. They see mm-hmm. that they are hurting their kids. They see that they are hurting their spouse and they know that they can't fucking stop and yeah. they don't know what else to do. So we fall on the sword, you know, will you die for your family? Yeah. Well, that's their way of dying for their family. Yeah. You know, it's like, I think the the world is definitely better off with, without me because, because I'm an ass, I'm an asshole and I can't fucking stop. I think that's one of the big drivers to, uh, to, yeah. to, to, to suicide. Yeah, and then when you get in that dark place and your demons are talking to you, and they can be pretty convincing, you yeah. know, to, yeah. to make you believe that stuff. And it's when you're there, there's you're beyond reason, and you can't see the forest from the trees. Yeah, and I don't know, it's, that's tough. And, and so I think that, that therapy, for me, therapy was a lifesaver. I know that for a fact. Um, but it, therapy doesn't have to be like going to the VA or going to the vet center or going to a counselor. Fuck, therapy can be calling your buddies that you're overseas with, right? Because those men and women know you better than anyone. And your family, the most loving family, will try to understand you, but they might not be able to, right? Just talk to people. I mean, I kind of glossed over this part of my story, but the what allowed me to consider therapy was I remember – um, I went to this, this was years ago. Uh, you know, I went to this Halloween party with some of my buddies and a friend of mine that he was my mentor in the army. Like he was my first squad leader. Eventually we'd be NCOs together. He taught me to be a leader. And, you know, we did our, our first two tours together. He went on to do like three more. And, and we were at this Halloween party one night. I just like, right. Like you get really drunk and you have a fucking meltdown and, and that was me, and I'm sitting outside talking to him, and he's like, you know, after my third deployment, me and, and Luke, one of our other friends, like, we had to go start talking to someone because we knew that, that things weren't right with us. And, like, him 
telling me that. And like he, to me, was the epitome of what a non-commissioned officer was. He was the epitome of a leader and a soldier. Like him telling me that he had to go talk to someone like that's, I still had to swallow my pride and go through those hurdles, but like it was okay with to do that because this person I really looked up to had said that they had to go. And so like that helped me so much on my path. And that was like three years before, you know, it was just something that, that stuck out in my mind. So I think yeah. talking to your brothers and sisters and engaging that community of people is so vitally important. What we're doing right now, this conversation is what eliminates stigma because we just say it, man, just say the real shit without shame. Cause there's what, what am I ashamed of? You know, nobody's ashamed. It's like, Oh God, I, I don't know how to tell you this, but my leg got blown off by a landmine. Oh, don't tell anybody though. I got such weak fucking shins. You know, have you tried not bleeding? Have you tried not bleeding? Yeah. Well, why don't you just grow it back? Right. Like, well, the just fuck? Work a little harder. Like, you should probably come on. That. Hey, a lizard can grow back its tail. Why can't you grow back your goddamn leg? Right, you know, yeah. but it's the it's the have. same. It's a goddamn injury, yeah. and um, it's not a weakness. It's a fucking injury. And having these conversations gives other people the courage to reach out for help. It, it takes that stigma away. It takes the shame away. It's like, oh, well, this guy seems you know all right. Doesn't seem like a yeah. like a wuss, and and he's going for help. It actually takes, as you know, as you've said, tremendous strength and courage. Uh, to reach out for help and then to follow through and to keep going. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause this is, this is with us for life, friend, right? This is a shadow that's going to be with us for life. And that's, and so that, that, that's the, that, that's, that's the current philosophy for sure. You know, um, and I've said it on the show many times, like you're stuck with this for life. But there is hope. Um, I'm an aggregate. Oh, for sure. This show is an aggregate for healing, and there's uh, there is really help with new programs that are coming out with psychedelics. You know, with yeah. uh, magic mushrooms and all the other stuff, uh, yeah. ketamine. But there is real hope. Ayahuasca. Ayahuasca. There is real hope uh, down with that route for actual permanent healing. So yeah. and. As a matter of fact, on the 26th here, I'm having some experts on talking about exactly that. So, you know, keep, stay posted. Keep listening to the show, brother. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And like, I, I hope that like what I, what I meant was not that like the, the dark place you're in isn't there forever, right? Like you can manage this and continuous management is, is necessary. You know, like it's... It will be with you, but it doesn't have to be this overbearing demon that ruins your life. It's definitely manageable. You can knock the head off it. But uh, the the therapies that I'm talking about, um, it it shouldn't be with you at all if, if, uh, like, permanently fixed, where it's not haunting you and you don't have to be currently vigilant. Nice. Nice. Well, I I hope so. You know, I'll let you know when I get there. (laughs) Yes, sir. But then away we go. But uh, Seth, thank you so much for being on here, man. Like, just a great chat. Yes, thank you so much for having me. And and thank you for the work you're doing to help reduce this bullshit stigma that makes it harder for men and women to go seek help and be the best versions of themselves. Like, you're a real credit to our community, and I appreciate you. Thank you, brother. Uh, Back at you. Uh, The work that we are doing together is absolutely critical because this is the only way to get rid of the stigma. It's to talk yeah. without shame. Just just tell the truth. So, yep, I'm fucked up. I'm injured. Yep. And this is what I did. You know, this is this is what I did to my family, to my children. Yeah. Uh, this is what happened. 
and 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 to not hide it. It's got a yeah. uh, light. Really, sunlight is the best disinfectant. <laughs> not a conspiracy. Not a conspiracy. <laughs> it's actually it's actually true. All right, brother, stay on the line. You are listening. Right, thanks so much. Thanks, brother. You are listening to Operation Tango Romeo, the Trauma Recovery Podcast. <laughs> everybody thanks for tuning in now i've got a favor to ask you and i know everybody asks for the same favor but it's really really important if you can help do your little bit by going to apple podcasts leaving a rating and a comment that would be awesome also on your favorite podcast platform whether that be spotify anchor google podcasts or whatever floats your boat and blows your hair back please click follow. And if there's an option there for rating, please do so. And this is why. Every time you click like, leave a rating, leave a comment, what happens is that it makes it easier for other people to find this podcast. The help that you can't find doesn't help at all. So help other people find this so that they can help themselves. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And as always, share, share like the sugar bear because sharing is caring.